that I've been living in collapses at my feet. And when my life is shattered and torn, though I'm windswept, though I'm battered, I can cling to his cross and find peace in the midst of the storm. There is peace in the midst of my storm-tossed life. There's an anchor, there's a rock to cast my faith upon. Jesus, rise in my vessel, so I'll fear no alarm. He gives us peace in the midst of the storm. Do you believe that this morning? Yeah. Amen. Oh, no. Thank you. And that's a, it's a song that was written in 1974 uh, by my father. He's a songwriter, pianist, and worship leader sort of person. Um, after he survived being buried alive in an F5 tornado, that's a picture of the, the actual funnel cloud that devastated the town of Xenia, Ohio. And as he made his way back to where the church had been, where he was the worship pastor, and thank you to this great worship team this morning, by the way. Um, he met the senior pastor who's still a family friend. He's in his 90s now and still teaches Sunday school to kindergartners at this very same church. Isn't that great? Um, and he said to my dad, Steve, God does not promise to take us out of life's storms, but does promise to be in the storm with us. And my dad, being who he is, sat down in the midst of the rubble and wrote the lyrics and melody to that song that has shaped the journey of our family, has shaped my own journey in many ways, and has been true over and over and over again in the lives of people that I've had the privilege of journeying with, <clears throat> In ministry in one form or another. And so I want to share with you um, hopefully a hopeful word um, that's a biblical antidote to stress because life has storms, does it not? Life can be stressful. Um, if you haven't figured that out, at some point that will dawn on you. Um, there is stress in life, it's inevitable. Um, and yet there are some things that I think we can tap into through a hearing from uh, God's word this morning. It's really a privilege to be here with you. I have enormous respect for your pastor, Pastor John, and praying for him as he is away. And I want to say to you um, just a, an affirmation of you as a congregation and, and a lot of the work that I do now um, as the director of a center for pastors at APU, uh, that there are churches that wrestle with whether or not to allow their pastor to take a sabbatical. And so it's really a a wonderful sign of health of this congregation and of the kind of relationship you have with your pastor uh, that you um, are able to do that. And so we're praying for purposeful time for you. It's actually a really healthy thing uh, to take this time away from one another. Um, and so I'm praying this will be a time of renewal for your pastor as well as for your church and for the mission that I know you have in powerful ways in this community and beyond. I was thinking about this as I was reflecting on my own family history and my I'm a pastor's kid of a pastor's kid. My grandfather was a pastor of uh, mostly small, clergy-killing Nazarene churches his entire career. Um, and I happen to have a guest with me here this morning, Nate Adams. Nate, if you would wave your hand, who's my first cousin. 
Um, he is here all the way from Florida, um, here for work. He's an attorney, has done some amazing things, uh, kingdom work really in incredible uh, circles of influence. And I was thinking about our grandfather, Nate, that back when he was pastoring, people weren't talking about stress and resilience the way that they are now for pastors. And so I want to just pray God's blessing on your church and your pastor during this time. As I want to talk with you about stress for just a minute. Um, and let's think about what stress is before we talk about what uh, God might have to say to us about how to, to counteract the impact that stress can have on our lives. Stress is, uh, it's inevitable in life. It's, it's essentially overextending ourselves without taking adequate time for recovery. We were actually created for the period in history when people traveled around on camels or pack animals in terms of the pace of life for which we were created. We weren't created to live with the pace that most of us live with nowadays, that we are continually stimulated by technology 24-7. We're able to fly from coast to coast in four or five hours while watching a movie and answering email at the same time. We weren't created to live with this pace. And so all of us are, are outstripping our, our physiology, uh, the way that we're designed, the way our brain and body are designed to withstand stress. And if we don't pay attention to that and pace ourselves in that, uh, there, there are going to be consequences for us that have to do with this concept called resilience. It's a concept that's really popular right now in the kinds of scholarship that I'm involved with. And it essentially says this. If I took a, a giant rubber band and I held one end here on, on this end of the sanctuary and I had my cousin Nate grab the other end and go to the back of the sanctuary and we stretched that rubber band as far as it would go and then we let go at the same time, which would be important, right? And I, Nate, I totally, I totally know you'd let go first. I totally know you would. If we let go at the same time, what would happen to the rubber band? It would it'd land somewhere in the middle of the room. It would bounce back. It would snap back. It's resilience. Um, if we held that same rubber band and didn't let go and we kept holding it for a long, long period of time, it would start to form cracks. And eventually it would break because it was not designed to withstand the prolonged stress. Well, we're actually designed the same way. And a certain amount of stress for a short period of time is really okay, as long as we're able to take ourselves out of that stressful circumstance and regroup and rest and allow ourselves to be renewed and rejuvenated. But after several weeks to a month, if we're in high, high stress for a long period of time, um, then that stress starts to work the other way. It starts to negatively impact us in all kinds of ways. For example, people start to feel more aches and pains in life, physically, because stress, prolonged stress, starts to, starts to um, suppress certain kinds of things in our physiology. One of those things is natural endorphins, the natural painkillers of the body. Uh, people start to have more anxiety and depression. Uh, because stress starts to suppress some of the chemicals in the brain that regulate our mood and emotions. Um, start to get sick. You ever gotten sick right after a really busy season? Yeah? It's because the stress suppresses our immune system, makes us more vulnerable to whatever colds and flus happen to be going around that year, and we can just feel generally fatigued and depressed. And so we have limits as human beings. And if we live past those limits for too long, it's going to show up somewhere, typically where we're most vulnerable. It's emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually. Um, and so what does Scripture have to say to folks living in Southern California 
which is a very fast-paced environment. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but it really is, um, especially uh, in this part of L.A. Uh, and we, we live past those limits for too long. It starts to show up. So I want to share a passage of Scripture with you because I think there's a, a helpful model that's embedded in this passage that might be helpful to us. And this is a passage that's become very important to me in my journey on a particularly stressful day for me in my adult life. A day when ministry as, as a pastor at a local church had become enormously stressful. I was working for the time for a, a senior pastor I refer to as a sociopastor instead of sociopath. That's a little term I came up with. That's a different sermon. Um, enormously stressful experience because of, of really seeing incredibly unhealthy leadership in power in a faith community like this one. And I got four phone calls from four different people on that same day. Four people that don't know each other, four different chapters in my life. One was someone that I knew as a high school student in Nashville, Tennessee, where I grew up, a college friend, a grad school colleague, and then a Nazarene pastor that had known me since childhood. And all four of them called on the same day. It was this really difficult day. And they said, Chris, we haven't talked in some time, but I felt overwhelmingly impressed to call you this morning when I was having my morning devotions. Are you okay? No, actually, I'm not. Here's what's going on. And, and all four of them said, Chris, I also felt like the Lord gave me a passage of Scripture for you today. And, and in all four phone calls, it was the same passage of Scripture. Now, that sort of thing doesn't happen to me all the time. Um, I don't know if you've ever been chased by a passage of Scripture, but it felt as though <laughs> God was saying to me, Chris, in case you missed it the first time, I want to give it to you again. And in case you missed it the second time, I'm going to give it to you a third and a fourth time to invite you to live into this passage of Scripture, Psalm 37, that says this, Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord. We sang about that earlier this morning. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way or over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And the land in this psalm represents security and safety and prosperity. And I was reminded of a, a wonderful little book that a, a pastor in L.A. wrote many years ago that was entitled The Cycle of Victorious Living that comes from this passage. That if we learn into, to live into this rhythm of trusting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord, committing our way to the Lord and resting in the Lord, then that is how we live the abundant life. It's how we experience the peace of God no matter what our circumstances. So if we find ourselves fretting in life, if we find ourselves overwhelmed by stress, it's more than likely due to, to not doing one or more of those things. We're either not trusting, we're not delighting, we're not committing, we're not resting. Um, and if we learn to live into the rhythm of this cycle of victorious living, Pastor Earl Lee is the pastor who came up with us, who's no longer with us. Um, then we can find ourselves enjoying the promises of God in a deeper way than we've ever experienced before. Uh, so what does that actually look like? Well, this trusting and committing business, um, it's not an easy thing to do, is it? 
It's not an easy thing to do when life is stressful and circumstances have overwhelmed us. Um, I had the privilege a number of years ago of visiting Italy with a pastor friend of mine. Some of you may have done this as well. And we went to all the typical touristy sites, but we had a, a really powerful experience visiting the catacombs outside of Rome. The catacombs are where the early Christians buried their loved ones and brothers and sisters in Christ. The Romans actually um, cremated everyone because it was more efficient. Uh, But the Christians, early Christians, believed so much in the imminent return of Christ and the the resurrection of all of who we are in Christ, including our bodies, that they they wanted to preserve the bodies of their loved ones. So they, they dug these tunnels outside of Rome and buried their loved ones in these tunnels over a million Christians buried in this particular catacomb we visited. Amazing tour guide. She was a very uh, fervent believer in Christ that was giving us this tour. And she said, I want to point out to you as you walk through the catacombs that the, the early Christians took Roman symbolism and Christianized it. They adopted the sim- symbols of the emperor uh, as a way to remind themselves of the power of Christ and the victory of Christ over all of life's circumstances. So you'll see arches throughout the catacombs, and you can see them here in this picture. The Roman arch was a symbol of victory. All throughout Rome, there are arches built when an emperor would go to some distant land and conquer a land for the Roman Empire. They would come back to Rome and they would build an arch. You can even see the arch of Titus, which was built after the fall of Jerusalem. It's a symbol of victory, and, and the early Christians took that symbol and embedded it into a cemetery, essentially to remind themselves that, that there is victory over everything in Christ, even death itself. And, and they were able to hold worship services in, in among the graves of their loved ones because they clung so tightly to the power of the resurrection. Isn't that powerful? The psalm says, trust in him and he will do it. He will act when you commit your way to him. We happened to leave the catacombs and we went to... A, a, an old archaeological site called Circus Maximus, which was this enormous stadium, probably seated a couple hundred thousand people, archaeologists think. And it's probably where a lot of Christians were martyred, where the emperor Nero and others would give the thumbs up or thumbs down of whether or not you lived or died. And it just so happened where we were standing, over the ruins of Nero's palace, you could see St. Peter's Basilica, which is where the Pope lives. Um, you could see the, in the distance the cathedral standing, and it was just this reminder. After centuries have come and gone, the Roman Empire has risen and fallen, but what is still active on the earth? The Church of Jesus Christ, amen? Or we wouldn't be here this morning. You talk about resilience. There's something about keeping perspective when we trust and commit. It's not so much what happens to us, it's how we we think about what is going on and think about the resources that we have that are limitless in Christ uh, for us to be able to face the stress that we're going through. Um, it also helps us to rest in the Lord and be still. Um, everybody get enough rest last night? Get enough sleep? The experts tell us we need seven to nine hours a night. I won't ask for a show of hands how many of us get that. I have young children myself, so for those of you that have babies or kids, that can get difficult, can't it? Some of you may work nights. You may have come to church from working a night shift, and you get four hours of sleep during the day. And, um, and There are consequences if we don't get enough sleep. Things start to go pretty haywire pretty quickly. You can see some of the statistics up on the screen. Um, but I wonder if you've ever thought about sleep theologically. 
There's an interesting spiritual discipline. We have a daily reminder of our limitations and of God's sovereignty, don't we? While we slept last night, for however long that was, God somehow kept the universe going. Somehow kept the earth the right distance from the sun. Somehow kept everything running, kept your heart beating and your lungs breathing, uh, such that you were able to wake up and enjoy a new day. And we sometimes forget that in the way that we live our lives. Um, I want to share two images with you that uh, I picked up from a pastor, a friend of mine, Pastor Pete Scazzaro, who pastors a church in New York City. And, and these are two images from New York City. This is right at Rockefeller Center, 30 Rock, right? Where they, they have the big ice skating rink and they light the Christmas tree. You see the, the TV special. There's a statue there of the Greek god Atlas that you see here. And Atlas is holding up the weight of the world on his shoulders. Do you see that? Barely able to hold it up, straining under the weight and under the burden. And this is how a lot of us live our lives, even as Christians. We feel like we're barely able to hold it together. All the pieces of our lives, the burdens that we carry. Um, and there's another image right across the street in a cathedral in New York City, and this is the image. It's a statue of Jesus as a boy, maybe five or six years old, effortlessly holding the world in one hand. Isn't that a powerful image? That's where we're invited to live in this song. If we're not careful, as Christians in America, we can start to function as what one author calls functional atheists, which is to say I have this whole theology, this system of what I believe in my head, but the way I actually function in my daily life is as if God doesn't exist or God is not sovereign. God is not trustworthy. I cannot rest in that fully at an emotional level. And this psalm invites us to release that burden. Um, I want to create like a Twitter hashtag, baby Jesus has got this, right? Um, the Lord can carry you. And so one of the other ways that we can rest, we know from research, is, uh, is also managing your adrenaline. We are an adrenaline-addicted society, uh, looking for the next exciting thing. That's why if you're on vacation, by the way, as I'm going to be in a couple of weeks, thank God, um, you may have to fight the temptation to check your work email on your phone. You may have to fight the temptation to go unplugged for a while and stop looking at Facebook or your Twitter account or your text, because every time we get little text or a little Facebook hit, we get a little mini hit of adrenaline and dopamine and some other stuff in our brain that literally becomes an addictive process um, because we don't know how to slow down. We don't know how to be still. We don't know how to be silent and trust and commit and delight in the Lord. Um, and so I want to encourage you to think about that. Think about how much you allow yourself to react to things, how much adrenaline you allow yourself to expend when maybe that's not really necessary and how we can find ways of bringing those deeper needs to God and not allow ourselves to be distracted um, by chasing the next adrenaline rush. Um, we're also invited in this, uh, oops, I need to go backwards. How do I do that? Sorry, just give me one second. My staff at APU gives me a hard time because I'm not an Apple person, so the iPod is a new thing for me this morning. I'm a PC person. Any PC people out here this morning? All right, we'll start a support group after church or something. Um, <laughs> We're invited to delight in the Lord in this psalm. 
we slow down and we rest, we start to learn to delight in the Lord, to experience the joy of God. Scripture says to us that, uh, that the joy of the Lord is our strength in the prophet Nehemiah. In other words, there is joy within the very character and nature and heart of God, and we're invited to participate in that joy. Joy characterizes who God is, and we're invited to share in that and experience that. It's what we were created for. We were created to flourish. We were created to experience life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have life what? Abundantly. Are we experiencing that kind of life? Are we allowing ourselves to trust, commit, delight, and rest and delight in the Lord. Well, as a, as a psychologist, in addition to having theology degrees and being a pastor, um, I've been really intrigued with what's called positive psychology. It's this idea that, uh, that for a long time we've been studying what, what goes wrong in people's lives, and that's a helpful thing to understand and to know in order to help people. But most people, even in spite of challenges, in spite of difficulties, do fairly well. And so it dawned on somebody, why don't we study what's right with people? Um, what is it that, that promotes the good stuff, that promotes the health? And so we study this really in two primary dimensions. Uh, one is what we call happiness, which might be better termed something like sustained positivity. In other words, over time, the, the day in and day out, week in and week out, hour in and hour out experience of life, of work, of family, of all the stuff that makes up life. Generally speaking, do you have a sense of positivity and optimism? Um, not that we all don't have a bad day, but are you able to recover from that and focus on positive kinds of things? Now, here's the interesting thing we've been finding in research. That pursuing that kind of positivity and happiness directly as an end in itself leads to more unhappiness. Isn't that interesting? Think about the culture that we live in. It's all organized around striving for happiness as an end in itself, is it not? Happiness is actually... As a result, it's a byproduct of pursuing the right kinds of things in the right kinds of ways for the right kinds of reasons. I'll say that again. Happiness is a byproduct of pursuing the right kinds of things in the right kinds of ways for the right kinds of reasons. Well, Christian spirituality and scripture have an awful lot to say about what are the right kinds of things to pursue and how do we pursue those and why do we pursue those? Does it not? Um, we're invited to experience the abundant life, even in the midst of stress, by resting and committing and trusting and delighting. Um, the, the thriving side of it has more to do with, with connection. Are you connected to God? Are you spending time daily and weekly experiencing a, a dynamic, powerful relationship with God? Are you connected to other people? There was a huge study done at Harvard. It's the longest study ever done on a huge group of people. They studied thousands of people. It was something like 10,000 or more people in the study from birth to death. So almost a 100-year study that folks conducted. Um, amazing accomplishment. And as you can imagine, all kinds of things happened to people. Some people lived into their 90s, even 100. Some people died young for whatever reason. People got divorced. People got remarried. People had kids. People didn't have kids. People had jobs. They lost their job. All the kinds of stuff that happens in life. And the big takeaway conclusion uh, of this study was this. It's not 
the bad things that happen to us that doom us. It is the good people who happen to us at any age that facilitate enjoyable old age. In other words, do life in community. Uh, The implied you in this psalm, you trust, you delight, you commit, is actually a plural you. It's not meant for us to just do on our own. It's not meant for us just to pursue it individualistically. It's meant as a community thing. That's why it's so wonderful to see a church like this gathered on a Sunday morning and you're doing life together. Um, You're doing life in Sunday school classes, in small groups, over coffee, out on the patio, um, in all kinds of different expressions. To do life with other people makes all the difference in the world. Um, Because where else in this society in which we live does an intergenerational, intercultural, interracial, missional group of people gather and journey together from birth to death except in the church? Where else does that happen but at Living Springs in a community like this? And our world is desperate for us. Um, So if you find yourself in just one of those seasons where you're not experiencing the abundant life, not experiencing the joy of the Lord, I want to make a couple suggestions to you. Uh, One is to volunteer in the children's ministry here. Now, why do I say that? Well, again, I have two young kids, and we like to walk in our little town of Sierra Madre. Some of you know where that is near Pasadena. And I didn't realize until I had young kids and we walked around the neighborhood what I was missing in my neighborhood. Because my daughter, Lexi, when she was three or four years old, would notice everything. She would notice the ladybug on the leaf. She would notice the bird on the telephone wire. She would notice the squirrel running across the branch. And if there were a group of flowers at someone's house we're walking by, she'd want to stop and look and touch every single flower. 400 red roses, you know, she wants to touch every single one. And watching just her, her pure delight in the creation and beauty of God slowed me down and helped me to recognize and notice the joy of the Lord that is always there always around us. So if you find yourself out of touch with that, volunteer in your children's ministry and allow children to be your spiritual director for a little while and allow you to recapture that notion of joy, um, that wonder uh, that God is always present, always up to something in the world, in your life, in my life, in this community, in this church, and in Pastor John's life while he is away. Um, So I want to invite you to, to lean in to the cycle of victorious living this morning. To trust. To commit. To rest. And to delight. For there is peace in the midst of my storm-tossed life. There's an anchor, there's a rock to cast our faith upon. Jesus rides in our vessel, so we'll fear no alarm. He gives us peace in the midst of the storm. God bless you this morning. Peace to you.